horrible would it be if after we gave Dylan that guitar, after service, I said, okay, listen, that's going to be $1,200.15, and you can make payments every month as we... Wouldn't that be horrible? You know why that'd be horrible? Because it is a gift. It's a gift. He can't earn it. He can't pay for it. It's It's a gift. It's a gift that's been given. That's what salvation is. Salvation is a gift. But if you're saved, there's a certain way that, that, that you, you live your life because God changed you. Not because you changed yourself, but because God changed you. And so today I want to talk to you in part 7 about amazing assurance. Amazing assurance for your notes. Now let me tell you what we're going to do today is, today I'm going to make sure when you leave this building 30 minutes from now, you are 100% sure for a fact beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are either going to heaven or hell. I want you to know. I want you to know. And here's why I want you to know. Because I lived my life for years unsure. I battled. There were times in my life, and I was serving in church and, you know, and trying to do my best. I would have nightmares that I was going to hell that I wasn't saved. I would be, if my heart, because I started having friends from high school dying. You know, they die of a heart attack or drug overdose or whatever. And so I kept thinking in my head, well, when they pass away, you know, if they have enough, how do I know? How do I know for 100% sure if I'm going to heaven or hell? Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to be honest. By a show of hands, how many of you in here at some point, maybe not today, but at some point in your walk with Jesus, you have had an ounce of doubt of whether you are really saved or not? How many of you ever battled that? Good. I'm glad you all did too. In fact, I've had more questions this series um, have been that question. John Paul, how can I know? How can I know? How can I know for a fact? So years ago when I was battling, I emailed pastors all around the world. I said, how can I know? And they had all kind of different responses. None of them made me feel good. None of them made sense. One guy said, well, you don't know until you die, really. You know, and I was like, whoa, man, that doesn't sound like the God I serve. I want to know now. I want to know now. And so there's a scripture in 1 John 5, 13 that says this. I write this to you so you may know with settled and absolute knowledge. Not 90%, not 99%, but absolute knowledge that you have eternal life. So there is a way we should be able to know. There is something we should, there's a scripture, there's something that should be able to tell us before we die 100% what's going to happen to us for all of eternity. There's a way to find out. So I want you to understand, first of all, there's a way to find out. There is a way to absolutely know. It seems like, though, that you and I, it seems like that we take more time planning a trip to Disney World and studying the itinerary and marking which rides we're going to go on. We spend more time and energy studying a trip to Disney World than we do a trip to heaven. And sometimes we base all of eternity on what some preacher told us or what some one, one, or one scripture in the whole Bible. This one scripture, you know, that, that's how I know without really studying the whole heart of God and finding out the truth. And so instead of planning you know, a, a trip to Disney World, we take three weeks to study everything. It, you, you're in luck because I have studied every single scripture in the Bible on salvation in heaven and hell, and I can help you today find out 100% sure if you're going to heaven whenever you die. Here's why this is important, because Matthew 7, 21 tells us that people are actually deceived. Not everyone that calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Here's what this is saying. Some people actually thought they were saved, but they were not. And before you think that you are too good to be deceived, understand that the word deceived means you can think something, but you are actually deceived. If that word did not exist, then I would say, okay, maybe you're not deceived. The very fact that the word deceived is in the dictionary implies 
that you think something that may not be true, so you can be deceived. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, here's what we should do. We should actually test ourselves to find out if you are really saved in the faith. If you pass the test, you'll discover that Christ is living in you. Otherwise, you are counterfeits. So from the first three scriptures, here's what we've already learned. We've learned that you can know 100%. We've learned that some people are deceived, but we learned that you can take a test to find out. And you see the word counterfeit? When you look on TV and movies and they have counterfeit money, it's counterfeit. It, what it means is it tricks you. It tricks you. If you had counterfeit money in your wallet right now, most of you in this room would not be able to tell a difference because it is intended to make you think something that isn't true. A lot of people have had religion, and religion is counterfeit relationship with Jesus. Religion can make you think you're going to heaven when you're not. Religion can make you think you're going to hell when you're actually saved. Religion... And she has a limited amount of deception. Don't you think the devil's number one goal, his number one deception, is to make people think that they're saved when they're actually not? Out of everything, he could deceive us. He could deceive us in the whole evolution you know, argument. He could deceive us in post-trib, mid-trib, pre-tribulation. All these fights you get. See, we're gonna, I think the number one deception the enemy has is to make people think, well, if you come to church, you're saved. Or if, if, if you try to be a good person, you're going to heaven. I think that would be his number one deception. So we're going to take a test. How many of y'all love tests? Nobody likes tests. Your lives. But it's okay. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a test. And I have four points. Normally I have three points. Today I have four points. Okay? It's a very special Sunday. Very special Sunday. But don't worry. It's going to be the same amount of time as every other sermon. Just because there's four points doesn't mean it's long. We will get through all four points in the short 90 minutes that we have left in today's service. Okay, so here we go. Number one for your test, what do you believe? What do you believe? And this is a much more important question than you actually think. When I ask somebody if they're saved, they usually bring up John 3.16, right? Uh, God saw the word, whoever believes, da, da, da. whoever believes in him will not perish. Whoever believes in him, okay, listen, this doesn't mean believes like you think it means. Um, it's interesting how people will... Um, how people will plan all of eternity on one scripture, just one scripture, just one. That's amazing to me. It's similar to, um, show a picture of our text the other day, honey. You got that? So the other day I texted my wife and I said, do you want to see Terminator this weekend? I love Arnold Schwarzenegger. We have to rewatch all the other ones first. Everybody see that text? Imagine you have this paragraph, this whole chapter, but then I just take one sentence, just one, now show me that, here's the one sentence. I love Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, if that's all you read, think about all the things your mind could believe. Well, my pastor loves Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know. Uh, my pastor must be friends with him because he obviously loves him. Uh, my pastor loves everybody. He's just that kind of guy. loves everybody. My pastor uh, loves Arnold's uh, political stance, and he loves the, how he governed California. Or my pastor likes Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, right? Which one? And we take the, if you take a one sentence out of a paragraph, it can really, it can, it can, it can deceive you. Understand? Okay, so John 3.16, 
If you believe that Jesus, you'll, you'll, you'll go to heaven. That's what we say. It's not believe like you think. It's not believe like, well, I believe Jesus exists. It is this. Do you believe in his entire message? Everything he said, everything he did, do you believe in Jesus? Another question would be this. Do you believe that this word is the final authority for your life? You may not understand it all. You may not even like it all. But do you believe that this is your, 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 your word for your morals? Do you believe that this is the answer to everything? Do you believe this is completely perfect and from the mouth of God? And you say, well, what about believe in Jesus? John 1, 1 says, this is Jesus. John 1 says, the word became flesh. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. So here's my question. If you don't believe that this is the true finality for your life, if you don't believe this has all the answers, you need to research because there's a chance your heart doesn't belong to God. Because if you ever want to hear a word from the Lord, here's a bunch of words right here directly from God. Uh, Romans 10.9 actually goes from head to heart. Now it says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now we're going to the heart. In the Bible, because I want to make sure everyone understands, heart is not the thing that pumps blood. You have never told your wife, I love you with all of my pump. You've never said that. You've never told your kids, I love you with all of my pancreas. And you, your friends, I love you with my appendix. You don't do that. It's talking about who you are, your will, your desire, everything in you. I love you with every, I believe with everything in me that Jesus is Jesus, the Son of God. He rose from the, this is what it's asking if you believe. Now, most cultures don't use the word believe like Americans. We use it very loosely. Most cultures, it's a much more concrete word. It's shown by actions. Everybody say actions. Okay, I wanted to kind of do a little thing to help you understand this point. So, um, okay, let's see. Does everybody, everybody see this white balloon right here? See the white balloon? Make sure you, go, okay, make sure you see that. Okay, so this... Is um, it's a Red Ryder BB gun. Everybody love Red Ryder? Remember, you're gonna shoot your eye out, kid. Remember, okay. How many of y'all? Here's my mark. By a show of hands, Betty, if you get ahead of me today, I'm gonna kick you out. How many of you believe, by a show of hands, that I can hit that balloon from here with this Red Ryder BB gun? Let me see. Not everybody. Only some of y'all. How many y'all believe? How many of y'all that rose your hand? There was your. How many of y'all would be willing to hold it? The hands are lower. How many of y'all be willing to hold it with your teeth? Dylan? Come on up, Dylan. Come on up here. Okay, Dylan, I want you to just, um, I want you to just for fun, just say, I don't hold solid rock liable for any danger that's going to happen today. Okay, that's good. Okay, just make sure you understand. Okay, here's what we're going to do. I want to protect you because I, I like you. We want, actually... If something happens, I'm going to sell your guitar and um, I'm going to play it myself. Okay, come on up here. There you go. You're good, man. Okay. Okay, I'll let you face everybody so you can try to face them. And i hold that in your mouth. There you go, just like that. I want to protect your eyes right here. Okay, I want to make sure that nothing's going to happen to your nose. Protect that right there. And just in case it ricochets off, which it hasn't done that but once, uh, I want to make sure you have to get it. Okay. Okay, I need y'all to count down for me. Okay. Count down from 10, everybody. Ready? Good and strong. Go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 
man! Man! <laughs> you did good. You can go sit down. Okay. <laughs> Today is Dylan's day. Okay. That's interesting that as we really asked if you believed I was going to hit it, the hands started getting lower. I don't think any of us in this room doubted if Dylan really believed that I was going to hit it the first time and it not affect him. I think that with all of his heart, he believed. Okay, that's what belief is supposed to mean in the Bible. In fact, it says in James 2.19, do you profess to believe in the one and only God, but then here's what you do. You complacently sit back as if you did something wonderful. Even the demons believe, and it makes them tremble. Believe, when the Bible was written, it shows by actions. It shows by what's really going on in your life. Let me say what I, I, I think the problem with a lot of us, and even in this room, is this. I think that we are getting, um, I think we're getting conception mixed up with birth. Uh, conception is the fun part. That's when the seed is planted. You hear the word. You hear a sermon. God speaks to you. You know there's something more out there. You know something's real. And then that's the conception. And a lot of people think that's salvation. That's not salvation. That's conception. Jesus said you must be born again. There's birth. And birth is amazing. But is there something in between conception and birth? Yes or no? Yes. And what's it called? What's it called? I asked that in one service and they said hell. I did that years ago. I said it's hell. It's actually, the, the medical term is pregnancy. Okay. Pregnancy is not the most exciting part. Conception is great. Birth is amazing. But in between that, um, there's a time where you're wrestling. Uh, you're wrestling with, am I going to keep this seed in me or am I going to abort it? Um, am I gonna, am I, in other words, am I going to make Jesus the Lord of my life or am I just going to keep believing in my head that the Bibles might be true and that Jesus you know, was alive and that kind of thing? And so here's the thing about pregnancy. Let me ask you this. Does a baby actually, can a baby grow during pregnancy? Yes, there's still growth. It's not birth, but there's still growth. And here's what I'm saying. There's a lot of Christians. They think they're saved, but they're actually, they've conceived it and they're battling. Do I actually want to surrender my life to God? Do I want to make Him the Lord of my life? Do I want Him to change my life? Or am I going to stay in this place the rest of my life and just hope that it gets me to heaven? Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born again. So number one is this. What do you believe? What do you really believe? Um, and you can, show the, you can show that scripture. Conception would be believing mentally. Pregnancy would be wrestling with the fact, what am I going to do? And then birth is, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Okay? So number one is, uh, what do you believe? Number two is this. What's your desire? What's your desire? And this is actually the greatest point ever. If you really tune, tune in on this point, you'll, you'll, you'll really get it. But your desire, your will, what you want changes when you give your life to the Lord. You don't change your desires. He changes them for you. He changes them for you. Um, let me tell you one of the greatest lies. There's two lies we're going to conquer today. One lie is this. Um, just do whatever feels good and whatever makes you happy. That's a lie. Uh, the very essence of sin is do whatever feels good and whatever makes you happy. That is the pure definition of sin. Selfishness. Um, if you want to put someone on the road to hell, just tell someone this. Do whatever makes you happy and whatever feels good. And they will be on a road straight to hell. Um, when you're saved, it's not about what feels good or makes you happy. It's about what does Jesus want me to do. It's a big difference. Um, in fact, the greatest enemy, and I think you should write this down actually, the greatest enemy that you have in your life 
is not the devil because he's been defeated. Your greatest enemy is your emotions. Your greatest enemy is your feelings. That's your greatest enemy. And if you are now, if you are still living your life based on what makes me happy and what feels good, a lot of preachers won't tell you this, but you're probably not saved. You're probably not going to heaven if you were to die right now if you are still living your life based on what makes me happy and what feels good. Because a lot of things, even, even the Bible says even praising is the sacrifice of praise. You don't feel like praising sometimes. You don't feel like giving sometimes. You don't feel like it, but we do it because we love God. Let me say it this way. When you're married to somebody, you don't always feel like forgiving them when they offend you. You don't always feel like serving them. You don't always feel like putting up with them, but you do it because you love them. And you made a commitment to them and you're married to them. Um, we liken salvation to marriage all through the New Testament. That's what the Bible does, liken salvation to marriage. If I were to ask you today, are you married? And you said, well, I think I am. <laughs> when did you get married? Well, I got married when I was 14 at youth camp or when I was 25. Uh, tw- probably 25. You would think, cuckoo, right? Cuckoo, they don't know what they're doing. You should be able to know that you're saved just like you know that you're married or not. You might not remember the date you got married. You might forget that once, Bob. But you may, you you never forget the fact that somebody moved in with you and now you are sharing your life with somebody, right? So let me show you a, a prophetic scripture in the Old Testament that is a prophetic salvation scripture. In other words, it's an Old Testament scripture that tells us what salvation is like now that Jesus has risen from the dead, okay? Ezekiel 38, 25 through 36, sorry, 25 through 28 says this. And God is talking. He says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and make you clean from everything that has defiled you. Now, so far, is there anything you got to do? So far, it just says God, right? Okay, let me see that. I will give you a new heart and a new mind. Now, why does he say mind? Well, two reasons. Remember, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And because in the Bible where it says um, to get saved, it says repent and be saved. And the word repent means change the way you think. So it says, God will give you a new heart and new mind. Ah, here's another thing. This is such a good deal. It's just a real, if you know anything about business, this is a good business deal right here. I will put my spirit in you and will see to it that you follow my commands. Then you will be my people and I will be your God. Here's your part. You get to be his people. That's your part. You get to receive it. Here's what he said he'll do. I'll make you clean because you can't clean yourself. And you, some of you in here, you're still trying to clean yourself from your past and things. Listen, you can try all day and we'll applaud you and we'll say, oh, that's good. But behind the scenes, we're laughing because you can't clean yourself. Only God can clean you. Then he says this, I'm going to give you a heart and mind so you will want to follow me. Then he says, I'm going to put my spirit in you so you will never want to go back to that old life. This is a great deal. Great deal. I will give you a new heart and a new mind and you will not want to go back to that old life. So here's what I want to do. I want to now give you an um, analogy that I think will help you understand whether you're saved or not. Okay? I'm going to give you more scriptures to back this up in a second. Um, let's let this be hell over here. Okay, that's hell. That's heaven. Y'all are on the wrong side of the church today. But anyway, so, okay, so we were all born, we were all born wanting to go this way, which is selfishness, ourselves. Um, we were all born with this desire to do what feels good and makes us happy. Um, 
You've heard people say this, well, I'm just like that. I was born this way. You've heard people say, I was born this way. Listen real close. Everybody in this room was born this way. Everybody in this room was born going in the wrong direction. I don't care what battle it is or what addiction it is or what flesh pattern or what feeling. Some of us is, is deeper than others. The root is deeper than others. But we were all born going the wrong way. So understand, when anyone tells you I was born this way, you tell them I was too. I was born going the wrong way. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I wanted to make myself happy. I wanted to make sure I was taken care of and my family and that's it. This was my desire. This was my default. My default was to go against God. Now here's the thing. I would try to do right. And if I put enough pressure on, I could do right for a certain amount of time, but then it would just go right back in the other direction. Um, I would say, I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not and then I would look. I would say, I'm not going I'm, I'm, I'm to go to church. I'm, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to church. And then I would always make excuses if friends were in town, if I just didn't feel like it. If I was like, I wouldn't serve God. Um, I, this, was all, this was my life. My life was to be immoral. My life was to lie. And when I did wrong, I felt bad about it sometimes. Not because I, I displeased God, just because my parents told me that was wrong. You know, I, I, didn't, you know, I knew right from wrong, but I just constantly did the wrong thing. And one day in my early 20s, I called up a friend of mine, Reverend Randall from Little River. He drives down to my house. and I said, listen, I'm not saved. I'm not saved. I know, I've, I've been having these doubts, these nightmares. I just know I'm not saved. And he said to me, are you ready to surrender your life to Jesus? I said, I'm ready. He said, do you want him to change the desires in your heart? I said, I want him to change me. I'm not smart enough to succeed with my wisdom. I am not talented enough to make it with what I have alone. I can't do it by myself. I just can't. I recognize it. I've tried and I'm not good at it. I'm not good at it. And no matter how many times I want to do the right thing, I just go back to doing the wrong thing. And God reached down from heaven and went, bloop. And my default now is to please God. My default, I wake up and I want to spend time with Him. I want to serve Him. I want to worship. I want to give. Now listen, I can still do the wrong thing. But I got to try hard. And I got to plan it. And I got to think, you know what? I'm not going to forgive her. I'm not going to forgive her. She hurt my feelings. She offended. I'm not okay, I'll forgive. I'm not going to tithe. I'm not going to tithe. I need that money myself. Come on, there's something I want to buy. Okay, fine. I'll honor you financially. I don't feel like worshiping today. I've been through a lot. I'm tired. I don't feel good. Okay, I'll worship you. My default. Now, the polarity of my heart I did not do this. I didn't do this. I, I tried to do this and it never worked. It never worked. When I finally came to the end of myself and realized there's no way I can make it on my own, Jesus reached down from heaven and here's my question. When did this happen for you? If your default is to still live for yourself, you're not going to heaven. But here's the thing. You don't have to change this because you can't do it. All you have to do is surrender your life and say, God, I want you to change this. Now, some of you in here, you've been doubting your salvation, but I believe you go back in your life and see the point in time where your desires change from doing what you want to do and something in you just said, you know what? We really need to find a church. We really need to just, we, we need to be part of something that builds the kingdom of God. We need to serve. I want to give. There, there's something when the music starts, I just feel like I got to worship. God, I can't wait to talk to you today. You just changed my life. And you can still do the wrong thing, and we all can. But before the sun goes down in your mind, you think, you know what? I just, I just, I just go back this way. 
I, you know what, I really want to do the wrong thing. Come on, I'm going to do the wrong thing. And you may even do the wrong thing, but the next day, you, you, something in you just feels so convinced. You say, God, I'm sorry. And just, you just keep going this way. Going this way. When did that happen for you? Philippians 2.13 says, Work out your own salvation with reverence and trembling. Discover what it really means to be saved. What it really means to be saved. Because God is always at work in you, creating in you the power... And there's the word desire to do His will. If your testimony is, I got saved, but nothing changed in my life. I still live like the devil and do what I want to do. And I just offer, it's all about me. And I'm just telling you, if that's your testimony, that's a horrible testimony because you didn't get saved. You didn't. Listen, I walked the aisle a hundred times growing up. I've said, God, if I'm not saved, save me now. I probably said that a hundred times. Here's why that's a problem. That didn't work. If it worked, I wouldn't still be having to pray it over and over again. If it worked. I recognize, I'll never forget the day I was in my house. If you get saved in church, that's very convenient, but you don't have to get saved in church. It's like dying at the morgue. I mean, if you die at the morgue, it's very convenient, but you're most likely not going to die at the morgue. Anyway, I'll never forget the day where I finally, I woke up the next morning, and I just, there was my desire... My desire was to serve God. I didn't do that to me. He did it to me. He did it to me. So, what do you believe? What's your desire? Here's point number three. What's your fruit? What's your fruit? Now, some people, the reason this point is important, because some people are so deceived into thinking that they're saved, but the fruit of their life is so obvious they don't belong to Jesus. It is so obvious. The fruit. Fruit is what you produce, not what you've succeeded at. What have you produced? What has been produced out of you being on earth? What type of people are produced when they come into your life? Um, what have you produced for the kingdom of God? What can you say, I took part in building this for Jesus? What has been produced? Not what talents do you have? Not, um, not what skills do you have? Not how much Bible do you know? What have you produced? What kind of fruit have you produced? Man, what happened to the screen? <laughs> There we go. What is your fruit? <laughs> what is your fruit? Okay, so let me read you a scripture, Matthew 7, 16 through 20. Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the sickly trees bear bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit. A bad tree can't bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. Therefore, you will fully know them by their fruit. You don't know, if you really, let's say you're going to date somebody, if you really want to know who they are, if you really want to know who they are, Facebook won't tell you who they are, okay? Their talent won't tell you who they are. How much money they have in the bank won't tell you who they are. If you want to know who they are, you need to examine what has been produced in their life. What type of fruit do they produce? If I were to ask everybody that you work with, all of the people that work with you, if I were to ask all of your family members and all of your friends, is this person a Jesus follower? What would they say? Because they can see your fruit. I know what you're thinking. Well, they're not my judge. They may not be your judge, but they're your fruit inspectors. They can look at your life and say what type of tree you are. That was tweetable right there, just in case. If anybody tweets, that was a tweetable tweet. Okay? Tweet, 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 tweet. <clears throat> okay. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, Titus 1.16. They profess to know God, but here's how they deny Him, by the way they live. In other words, they say, well, I know God, I know God, 
And, and your words are great, but your actions show if your words are actually truthful. They profess no God, but they deny Him by the way they live. They're unbelieving. Man, I thought they were believing. No, their life shows they're unbelieving and unfit for good work. Uh, let me show you, uh, let me tell you, I, I, in this next point, I could have made, I could have I read a hundred scriptures, but instead I'm going to give you actually chapters in the Bible, okay? Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and 1 John, and every New Testament book says the best outward way to test how much you love Jesus is seen and how much you love and serve the body of Christ. In fact, there are 8 to 13 books in the New Testament, maybe 13, that were written to members of churches. So when you're reading these books, you can't even apply them properly unless you're a member of a church body. They were written to members of church body. It's like, it's like reading a scripture on marriage. You can get the wisdom from it, but if you're not married, you can't apply it. Most of the New Testament was written to members of churches, so you can't even apply it to your life unless you're a member of church. Here's what I'm saying. How much do you really love Jesus? Not in your head, but in your heart with your actions. 1 Timothy 3.13 Those who serve in church well will gain great confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. What do you believe? What, what are your wills and desires telling you? And then what's your fruit? And here's my fourth point, and, and we're going to close. I'm going to tell you a story, and we're going to close. My fourth point is this. What's your choice? Let me tell you why this is important. I told you that we were going to, we we're going to capture two lies today. Two, remember the first lie was just do what feels good and makes you happy? Here's the second lie. The second lie is this. Well, you were born that way, so you don't have a choice. Your parents were alcoholics, so you're, you're going to be an alcoholic. You don't have a choice. You were abused when you were younger, so now you're going to live this way as an adult. Um, you, you, your parents walked out on you, so you're going, to be, you're going to feel this rejection the rest of your life. Okay, those are all lies from the devil. Listen, you actually have a choice. The greatest gift God has ever given us is free will. Because free will is the only gift that allows us to actually experience love. If you were forced to do the right thing, you'll never experience love. The greatest gift we have is freedom of choice. So no matter what you've been through, no matter what's happened in your past, no matter how you feel since you've been born, you can actually make decisions. Listen, this is a big one. That go against your feelings. I know it's amazing that you don't do, that you can actually do something that doesn't feel right, that doesn't feel good. You can actually do that. You don't have to do what feels good every time. You can actually make sacrificial decisions in life. You can actually choose not to give in to temptation. You, can, you actually have the choice. It's been given to you. Matthew 16, 24. I'm going to read this in my own words. If any man wants to come with Jesus Christ, let him choose to, choose to deny the things he wants to do, take up his cross, and follow me. What's your choice? What's your choice? Um, I'll tell you a story and I'll let you leave. Uh, this wealthy man, very wealthy man and his son, they loved to collect works of art. I mean, they had uh, millions of dollars in paintings in their mansion. They had Picassos, Raphaels, uh, Rembrandts. Often the father and son would just sit together in the main room of the house and they would just admire all the paintings they collected over the years. When the Vietnam conflict broke out, the son went off to war. He was extremely courageous, uh, but he died in battle while rescuing another soldier. The father got word, was notified, and he grieved very deeply for his son. About a month later, just before Christmas, there was a knock on the door. 
it was the soldier that the son had saved in battle. This particular soldier, one of his side hobbies was paintings. And so he painted the most beautiful picture of the son, the, the, guy, the soldier whom he saved. I mean, you could see the courage even in the eyes of the painting of the son. The father was so appreciative. They sat and talked for a little while and then the soldier left and went on his way. About a year or so later, the father died. There was to be a great auction of all of his paintings, of the entire, everything he owned. Many influential people gathered from all over the globe, some for the opportunity to just see the paintings live, others for the opportunity to bid on one and possibly purchase one for their collection. The auctioneer pounded his gavel. We'll start the bidding with this painting of the sun. Who will bid for this picture? There was silence in the whole room. He said, do I hear a thousand dollars? Somebody yelled out, get on with it. We're here for the Rembrandts. He said, do I hear $500? The crowd was getting a little bit hostile. The auctioneer said, the sun, who will take the sun? People started yelling out, we're here for the priceless works of art. Get on with it. Get rid of the sun. Finally, a voice came from the very back of the room, an elderly voice. It was the longtime gardener of the man and his son. He said, all I have is $100 but I'll take the son. The auctioneer said, going once, going twice, sold to the man at the back of the room. A guy on the second row shouted out, now let's get on with the rest of the collection. The auctioneer laid down his gavel. He announced to the room, I'm sorry, but the auction is over. When I was asked to conduct this auction, I was told of a secret stipulation in the will. I wasn't allowed to reveal that stipulation until right now. Only the painting of the sun would be auctioned off today. And whoever bought that painting would inherit the entire estate, including all the other paintings. The man who took the sun gets everything. Here's my question for you today. Are you willing to take the sun? And no matter, you think in your head, I don't know if I want to give this part of my life away. I don't know if I want to surrender this to God. Man, if I start serving God, I'm going to have to not be in this relationship with this person because I know that's it. If I start serving God, I may have to do this. No matter what you think, you're going to give God, listen real close, He's got so much more to give you. Amen. You are never losing when you give to God. You're always gaining. So, what do you believe, what's your desire, what's your fruit, and what's your joy?